Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right, slap someone next to you, tell them it's time to preach. It's gonna be good. If you are joining us for the first time today uh, or you've been um, absent from Jesus the last couple of weeks and standing him up in his house, um, we have been in a new series uh, for the last couple of weeks. I'm sorry, I just laid guilt on you right from the beginning. My goodness, get saved. Uh, We've been in a new series entitled Psalms, or excuse me, entitled uh, 23 and Me. And uh, it's not a genetic testing series where we figure out where you came from or what your nationality or genealogy is. Uh, We've been studying one of the most famous passages of scripture in the Bible, Psalms chapter 23, a very rich six verses of scripture in the Bible that we believe can change your life, not just when you're near the end of it and you're walking through a difficult season, which is when we normally hear this Psalm, but every single day, even in this season of your life. So I wanna read Psalm 23 as we get into today and uh, we'll, we'll recap a little bit and then we'll get into it. Here's what it says. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, indefinitely, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the Father's house in San Francisco forever. (laughs) Hallelujah. Well, not forever, just while you're here on earth. Powerful portion of scripture. In week one, we talked about how to overcome fear, an ever-present enemy that so many of us face on a regular basis. And we talked about verse four, where David writes, uh, even when I walk through the darkest valley, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid because God, you are with me. And we talked about the fact that the antidote to fear is an awareness of the nearness of God, understanding that he walks through every season of your life with you. If you weren't here and you're walking through a difficult season right now where there's a lot of fear, please check that one out. I think it'll help you. Uh, But last week, we started the first of a two-part sermon that we will conclude today, talking about this relational analogy that the author of this psalm, David, writes about between the sheep and the shepherd. Uh, For anyone new to the team here, David, the author of this psalm, he was, in fact, a shepherd for the first portion of his life before he became king. And uh, as a young man, he spent every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in the field with his father's sheep. And during that time, he learned a lot about sheep. He learned a lot about how they interact with the shepherd. And I assume that over the time that he spent out there in the wilderness with the sheep, he began to notice some, some similarities between the way that the sheep interacted with their shepherd and the way that humanity interacts with God. And so he starts out this psalm by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And if the Lord is our shepherd, just a little review, what does that make you? That makes you a sheep, good job. Jesus had a little lamb, and that little lamb is you. Uh, Unless, of course, you are a woman in the room, in which case, could you please put this on the screen, Taylor? Jesus had a little lamb, and that little lamb is you, because because it's a female sheep and because it's, these are the jokes, people, all right? I know, that was a really bad joke. I'm, I'm, so, I'm a dad, I got dad jokes for days, all right? Let's pray and we're gonna get into this before the Holy Spirit flees the building. <laughs> Uh, Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your house. We thank you for your presence. 
Uh, thank you that we can have fun in your house and we can enjoy your nearness, enjoy your people, enjoy your presence. And uh, Father, we also thank you for your word. We thank you that according to it, it does not return void. Anytime we do something foolish, like talking over a microphone and reading scriptures out, the, the foolishness of preaching, as the Bible calls it, uh, it is actually that foolishness that causes people's hearts to come back to you, people to awaken to the reality of God. It says in Psalms 119 that the entrance of your word brings light. And I pray that today every heart would be illuminated. People who have maybe found themselves in an undesirable season or can't quite figure out how to connect with you, let today be the day that they say yes to you, that they connect with you in a new, fresh way. And God, let us leave this place completely changed. And Father, we also thank you for the beginning of basketball season. And Lord, I know it doesn't look good for the Warriors right now. I know that there's a lot of injuries and that the Lakers um, look really strong. Um, shut up. Um, but... We just pray right now over this city, God, that you would, you would bring victory by way of our warriors in Jesus' name. Amen. Lakers people, whatever. AD's a monster right now. He's good. So the philosopher Aristotle, whom I quote often, um, <laughs> he made this statement. He said, sheep are foolish and sluggish creatures. They are aptest of all to wander. Uh, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53, verse six, he said, all of us, humanity, like sheep, we have gone astray and we've all gone our own way. We've turned our backs on God. Last week, we talked about the fact that sheep by nature are prone to wander. They have a difficult time staying still. They, they don't quite know how to plant themselves in a field and enjoy it. Uh, David says, you know, there's some green pastures that God has given for me, some still waters and Yet the sheep doesn't seem to want to hang out in the very areas that God has prepared for them. They like to wander from place to place to place. And we kind of addressed this cultural thought, uh, this romanticizing of wandering. In our culture, it is, it, is, it is really cool to wander from place to place, to never really commit to anything. Don't commit to marriage, don't commit to a city, don't commit to a church, don't commit to a job. We romanticize this idea of never really putting down roots but the truth of the matter is that God wants us to be planted somewhere. He has a green pasture for us to settle down in and not wander out of. And in fact, if you look uh, throughout the course of history in the Bible, wandering was never associated with God's blessing. It was always associated with punishment or a curse. But his blessing was found when we settled in the place that he's given to us. So we address this reality of wandering. Um, but today I want to talk a little bit less about the fact that we like to wander and more about how God goes about ensuring that we don't wander off too far. How God kind of keeps us where we're supposed to be. If you are his sheep, hey, he is in charge of your life and he will do whatever it takes to make sure that you end up where he wants you to be. And so David, uh, he, he uses a phrase in verse four in this psalm uh, about a couple of instruments that a shepherd would use to make sure that his sheep don't wander off too far. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, those were two separate instruments that the shepherd would use for two separate purposes. The rod would have been a short kind of blunt object that the shepherd would use to protect the sheep. The rod was for protection. And the staff would have been something that looked similar to this. Uh, I couldn't find any shepherds in San Francisco, shocker, so I had to use a cane. Um, but a, a, an instrument similar to this, where it would have been a long uh, shaft with a crook at the end of it, and the shepherd would use this to direct the sheep. So the rod was for protection, 
and the staff was for direction. So David says, your rod and your staff, your protection and your direction, they bring comfort to my life. They bring comfort to my soul. So next week, we will talk a little bit more about the rod and how God protects us because it bears significance to the next verse where David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. But today, we're gonna talk about the staff because this is the main instrument, the main tool that God uses to ensure that we don't wander off too far. So let's talk about the staff. Um, If you've been coming to this church for any length of time, Uh, you know that Robin and I like to use props when we preach the messages. Uh, There's probably been, you know, 90% of the messages have involved some uh, sort of prop to help drive home a point or a truth. And I think it helps us. Does it help you sometimes when we use these props? Okay, good. So we're not just, you know, magicians up here pulling stuff out of a hat. That's cool. But I get a little depressed sometimes when we use these props because we invest a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of creativity, and sometimes a lot of money in, in bringing these things to the stage. And we only get like one shot at it, you know? You're like, I just spent all that time and all that money on that thing and we only got to use it once. Well, today we're gonna fix that. Um, I'm going to reuse a prop that we've used before. I know. Scandalous. Um, A couple of months ago, we were in a series in the book of Hebrews talking about how to go beyond the basics of our faith. And I preached a message called Hands Off the Lamb. Uh, And in this message, um, I had one of our leaders, Drew Baker, uh, dress up like a sheep and join me on the stage. It was a very expensive costume. And uh, at the end of the sermon, I knew I couldn't return it. By the way, if you're the person who buys clothes, wears them one time and then returns them to the retailer, that's wrong and you should not do that, okay? It's not a borrow, it's a retail store. You buy it, not so that you can wear it and return it and keep the the price tag on, that's dishonest. So I don't wanna be dishonest and so we spent the money on the costume. But I sent Drew home with it and I said, hey, I know that you and your fiance, you guys could probably use this after you get married. You know, you can use the lamb costume and enjoy it later and it'd be great. So go put it in the post-marriage box and you know, use it later. Well, I called him up and I said, hey, Drew, I need you to to break the lamb costume out of the post-marriage box because we need to use it one more time. So will you please welcome to the stage the TFH lamb mascot, Drew Baker, wherever you are at. Yes, there he is. (laughs) Isn't it great? Are you dabbing in a lamb costume? That's awesome. Okay. So here's how the shepherd would use the staff. Uh, Anytime a sheep would begin to wander from the field or from the flock where the shepherd wanted him, uh, the shepherd would use the crook, the, uh, the, the curly end of his stick here, to grab the sheep and to drag them back to where he wanted them to be. Um, some sheep responded well if you just put it around their leg, especially the babies if you put it around their leg and you pulled them back. But on occasion, the sheep were a little bit ornery, a little bit stubborn, and so uh, the shepherd would have to use the crook around their neck, and he would have to drag the sheep over by the neck. Now remember, you're the sheep, and Jesus is, in fact, the shepherd. So let's say Drew is walking through life as Jesus' little sheep, and he begins to wander off into some areas, uh, maybe on the internet that he shouldn't. Well, the father will bring the, the, the staff, and he will drag him back and say, hey, yeah, you better get over here. Uh, maybe there's some Jezebel at his work who's trying to flirt with him, and she's like, Drew, I know you're an attractive man. I know you're, you're gonna get married soon, but hey, what about me? And so all of a sudden, Jesus, like, hey, you better hold up. You better hold up, son. You better come on back here. And, and this is what the, the shepherd would do. Anytime a sheep would find themselves wandering into an area where they didn't belong, the shepherd would take this staff, their crook, and he would drag the sheep back to where it belongs. Does that make sense, Drew? Okay, give Drew a hand. You can have him take a seat, thank you. Feel free to keep the costume, amen, all right. So, so the staff was all about course correction. 
It was about ensuring that the sheep didn't end up too far. Yeah, they might've wandered a little bit, but the shepherd would always bring the sheep back. Now, wouldn't it be nice if God had a staff from heaven, physically, <laughs> that could keep you from wandering, you know? Like, wouldn't it be nice if during some certain seasons in your life, and you could probably picture what those seasons were, if just this giant staff from heaven came down and said, oh, honey, you need to, you need to find a new man. This one's not for you, okay? Or, or that's gonna turn into something later on in life that you do not want it to. You're not gonna be able to shake that habit. You better just say no now. It just kind of drags you out of that situation. I know that I could say yes. It would have been nice if God had done that for me a few times. But he didn't, and he doesn't. Yet, he does have a number of staffs, if you will, that he uses to ensure that us, his sheep, don't get too far off the course. And so I wanna take a couple of moments here and I wanna give you three of the most predominant staffs that God uses to keep us from wandering too far from him. Wandering into seasons of sin, wandering into the wrong places, wandering into seasons where we're far from him. He, he uses these things to drag us back to himself. So if you're a note taker, this is a good chance to uh, take out a pen and uh, take out something to write with. But I'm gonna give you three. Here's the first one. The first staff that God uses all the time probably one of the most predominant ones is his word. He uses the word of God as a staff. That is the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me, the Bible. It's been said of the Bible that it is like an instruction manual for your life. It's like a compass that keeps you going true north. It's like navigation. You know, it's, it's always making sure that you end up in the right place. The Bible is a great staff to ensure that we don't wander too far. Um, if you were to take your Bible and start in Psalms chapter 23 and begin to read a little bit further, turn the pages a few, uh, a few to the right, you would end up in a chapter called Psalms 119. And Psalm 119 is 150 verses about the goodness and the power of God's word. I'm sorry, 170 something verses about the goodness and the power of God's word. It's an incredible portion of scripture talks about how the Bible keeps us from wandering. It's got scriptures like Psalm 119, verses nine and 11, that says, how can a young person or an old person stay on the path of purity? How can we keep ourselves from wandering into impurity? By living according to the word of God, I have hidden the word of God in my heart so that I might not sin against him. If we find ourselves wandering into temptation or wandering into areas of impurity, then the, the word of God hidden in our heart has the ability like a staff to bring us back to where we're supposed to be. Uh, Psalm 119, 114 says that your word is the source of hope in my life. If you find yourself wandering into a season of hopelessness and like this, this is, there's no way this is gonna work out, this is impossible. Well, the word of God is like a staff that brings you back and says, no, 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 no. That's not how it's gonna turn out for you. You are a child of God and thus you have hope. You have hope in your father. You have hope in the fact that he's greater than your situation. It restores hope. But, but one of my favorite verses in Psalm 119, especially as it pertains to us wandering, is Psalm 119, verse 105. And here's what it says. Your word is a lamp that guides my feet and a light to my path. It's like a lamp to my feet and a, and a light to my path. It keeps me on the right path. The word of God has the ability to keep you on the right path because it illuminates where you're supposed to walk. In fact, let me, let me just ask, how many uh, are you, of you are like really literal people? Like you don't like the, like just give it to me straight. Black and white, just give me the answer. Like you're not very creative types. Like, it's okay, you can be honest. Like, I'm, I'm with you, okay, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm the guy that's like, just give it to me straight, quick, like a Band-Aid, rip it off, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. That's, that's the kind of guy I am. Well, if you are that kind of person, you will love the Bible. 
Because the Bible is often very black and white. Like it's, it's just very straightforward. It doesn't sugarcoat things. It doesn't give any kind of, you know, uh, leeway because of cultural context to make you feel a little bit better as a millennial for the truth that he's gonna give you. It just tells you like it is sometimes. It's just honest. It's like, hey, knock it off. You're an idiot, do this. Like that's what the word of God does sometimes. If you're like, hey, I just, I just don't know. There's this guy that I really like and you know, he's not a believer. He doesn't love Jesus. And, you know, he does Satan worship occasionally on the side, but I just think he's really nice and he's attractive. And, you know, one day he would make a great question, question. So I'm going to missionary date this guy and I'm going to bring him to church. It's going to be great. I just don't know what to do about it though. I don't know what God would say. Well, let me tell you what God would say. Second Corinthians, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, period. If you got someone in your life that you're trying to date and they don't know Jesus, you better knock it off right now because they're going to take you somewhere you don't belong. Straight up. You know, I just, I just don't know, like, like, how far is too far sexually in this relationship right now? I mean, like, I'm a grown person. It's 2019. I can't really be expected to, like, stay a virgin until I'm married. Like, people did that back in the 40s. But, like, come on, we've advanced as a society. I shouldn't be expected to do that any longer. Well, the Word of God says differently. Hebrews chapter 5. Keep the marriage bed pure, period. Well, but I'm not married yet. Exactly. Keep the marriage bed pure, Black and white, simple. I just find myself wandering into these seasons and I'm worried and I'm anxious. Hey, Philippians chapter four, very simple. Don't worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing, but pray about everything. And then the God of peace, he will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You don't even have to pray about those things. You don't have to seek God's counsel or his wisdom on those things. It's just clear in his word. It tells you exactly what to do, period. Now, I'm gonna make a statement, and this is a bold statement, but I believe it with every bit of my being. I believe that if the people of God would get into the word of God every single day, if we would hide it in our hearts and we would memorize some scripture, listen, I believe this wholeheartedly, you would avoid almost all of life's major pitfalls and keep yourselves on the right path. I know that that is a bold and audacious statement, but I wholeheartedly believe it. If we would just be in the word, if we would know what the word has to say about our lives, we would avoid so many ditches that people fall in. And let me tell you how much I believe that. Um, many of you know I have two daughters, uh, an eight-year-old and my youngest just turned seven this last week. And I I'm not the best father. I will admit that before God and everybody. I make a lot of mistakes. I probably discipline them too much. I... Uh, I don't know, I'm just not the best, all right? This isn't confession, I'm just throwing some stuff out there. But if there's one thing I've done well as a father, I have taught my children the value of the word of God. I've ensured that they understand that the most important piece of information they can get into their heads and into their hearts is the word of God. I'm far less concerned about their education and where they're gonna go to school and all of those other things. I'm more concerned about them making it to heaven. So I get the word of God inside of them. And every day since my kids have learned how to read, they read their Bible every single day. And every single month, our kids memorize a new Bible verse, a new scripture. This month is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away and all things have become new. My daughters could tell you that scripture right now. Walk up to them and test them. I understand the value of the word of God. Now, here's why I've done that. I pray every single day for my daughters. I pray that they will love Jesus in their old age, that they won't wander away from him, that God will keep them from dumb friends that try to drag them down the wrong path, that stupid boys won't kind of come into their life. Like I pray all of those things. 
I also bring them to church every single Sunday because I understand being in the house of God is important and raising your children up in the house of God, it can change them like nothing else, it's great. But I know a lot of parents who've prayed for their kids and who've raised their kids in church and their kids have still wandered away from Jesus. I had my season and my parents did a phenomenal job. But I know that if I get the word of God inside of them, I know that if they know the word, And if they face some situations that they have some scripture loaded in their heart for and they can declare it out over what they're facing, I know that they are far less likely to wander off the path into what this world has to offer. So for me, I get the word of God on the inside of them because I feel like that is the greatest weapon they have to stay on the right path. It's like a staff that keeps them where they're supposed to be. I think far too many Christians wander and veer way off the path simply because we're biblically illiterate. We don't know what the Bible says. No, it's, it's a lamp under your feet. It's a light to your path. Just get in the word and let it get into you. Whatever you gotta do, wake up earlier, read it at nighttime, find some friends, get accountable, go through a Bible reading plan together, do whatever you gotta do. But if you will get into the word, I promise you it'll be like a staff that keeps you from wandering into some seasons. And I can't tell you how many times, this is fun to point with, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a season where I've had to make a decision about something and one morning's reading just magically, not magically, the Holy Spirit illuminates something in his word and I'm like, that's what I need to do. You need to get into the word. It is a staff for you, amen? All right, second staff that God has for us is his people, his people. His word and his people. Notice I said his people, (laughs) not just people. Uh, Yes, you need people in your life. You need some friends, but you need the right people in your life. Can I get an amen from every person who tried to raise a teenager before? Yeah. You need the right people in your life. I love this quote by Jeannie Mayo. She's the uh, oldest youth pastor, I think, on the planet right now. Uh, She says, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Your friends, your homies, your roll dogs. I don't even know if people say that anymore. I don't know. (laughs) Trying to be hip and relevant. Um, They're taking you somewhere. Show me where they're walking and I will show you what your future looks like. The people you surround yourself with drastically affect the direction of your life. And so if you find yourself wandering into some places that you don't like, it might be time to survey who's surrounding you. Find out who you're walking with. Uh, In my uh, research for these last two sermons, again, I mentioned last week, I read way more about sheep than I ever wanted to know about sheep over the last couple of weeks. Ask me anything. I'm like an encyclopedia for sheep right now. I can tell you anything. But I read a story about uh, a, a couple of shepherds in Turkey that left their sheep alone. This is a true story. You can look this up on Google, which, of course, is the source of all truth. Um, But, uh, there were these shepherds that were in charge of a flock of about 1,500 sheep. And uh, uh, one day they decided to, to take a break from the sheep for lunch and they went away for a couple of hours and went into a town nearby and they left the sheep on the side of this cliff. And so the sheep were grazing and uh, while they were away at lunch, uh, one sheep looked over at the edge of the cliff and he began to wander towards the cliff and uh, kind of peered over and, oh, what's that? And before you know, <laughs> fell off the side of the cliff. Well, there was another sheep that was watching him. And so that sheep followed him off the side of the cliff. And then one by one, all 1,500 of these sheep 
wandered off the side of the cliff. 400 of them died at the bottom, and then they served to be like the pillow that kept the rest of the sheep from dying when they fell. I know that's morbid, but the rest of them lived. And the shepherds come back, and they're like, where are our sheep? And they look over the side of this cliff, and all the sheep had followed the one guy off the side, or girl, I don't know, off the side of the cliff. Equal opportunity for sheep, for sure. So what am I saying? I'm saying your herd matters. The people that you surround yourself with matter. They, they are either leading you to good pasture or they are leading you off the side of a cliff in the spirit. It absolutely matters. Here's what the Bible says about it in Proverbs chapter 13. Walk with the wise and you will become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. You know who a fool is, right? The Bible says in, in the same book in Proverbs, of only a fool says in his heart, there is no God. Yeah. Who's a fool? A fool is somebody who is godless, not God-fearing, someone who kind of pokes fun and jest at your relationship with Jesus. Ah, you need that little crutch, I don't need that. So if that's your crew, if that's your herd, if you're surrounded by a bunch of godless people, don't be surprised when you find yourself in some godless situations. Yeah. Let me ask you, when you are hanging out with some people. It says those who walk with the wise. When you're walking with your people, where do you end up? Do you find yourself doing things or pressured, even if it's not verbal, but just that internal pressure, that temptation, that peer pressure, to do some things that you know God's probably not cool with? If so, it's, it's not necessarily because you don't love Jesus, it's not even, you know, and I, I, I could go on a rant about this, but it's not even necessarily that you're not strong enough as a believer to say no to temptation. I don't care how strong you are. You surround yourself with ungodly people for a long enough period of time, it's, an, it's inevitable. You're gonna make your way off the side of a cliff. It's probably just you need to surround yourself with a different crew. Now, let me be clear. I am not saying that you need to ditch all your friends and get in a Christian bubble and just hang out with, praise God, brother, did you read John chapter three today? Like, that's not what I'm asking. I hate those people, all right? <laughs> if that's you, this ain't your church. Like, we are supposed to be in relationship with people that don't know Jesus. Our whole job as Christians is to leave this gathering and to go back into a dark city and to rescue those who are on the way to an eternity without Christ and bring them back into the house of God. And the only way we can rescue people is if we're in relationship with them, all right? We have to be in relationship with unbelievers, so please don't hear me wrong. So I'm not saying ditch all your friends. I'm saying you need both. I'm saying you need some godly people around you. And yeah, you need some hood rats around you as well. You need both. You need some friends that when your marriage is on the rocks, that don't look at you and say, ah, just get the divorce. There's better people out there for you. You need some people around you that say, come on, we're gonna fast, we're gonna pray, we're gonna believe that God can restore this thing. You need that kind of a community around you. You need some people that instead of saying, ah, just cover it up, it's not a big deal, no one's gonna find out about it, just kind of move on. People are like, no, anything you let fester in the dark, it will turn into a fungus in the spirit. You need to get that thing out into the light. Come on, you need to open up, be honest about what's going on, and you need to get freedom. You need godly people around you. They are like the shepherd's staff that will keep you with advice 
and the multitude of counsel, there is safety. When you have godly people around you, they won't let you wander off for too long. If they notice that your seat is sitting vacant in church, they're gonna make sure they pick up the phone and call you. Okay, where are you at? Get your butt back into the house of God. You need to be in his presence. You need those kind of people in your life. That's why we're like a broken record. Like, hey, if you're in town, get to church. Not so that we can feel better about ourselves and go look at all the people that came to the Father's house this weekend. We're winning, we're growing, we're a thriving church. No, because you need to be around godly people that can sharpen you and make you better and help make sure you don't wander too far off the path. You need someone who sits three rows behind where you normally sit to notice when you're not there. It's more like getting a group because this is great, but at the end of the day, true relationship, true accountability, it happens inside of a group. Well, I don't have time for a group. You know, my life is too busy. Well, make time. Come on, things that matter, you can make time for, okay? We will find a way to make it work for you. I, I just want you around some godly people that will help make sure you don't wander too far off the path. God uses his people. Number three, he uses his word, he uses his people, and I love this one, he uses his spirit. He uses his spirit to make sure you don't get too far off the path. The Bible says that when you said yes to Jesus, that the Holy Spirit indwelt you. In other words, if you were here for the last year, maybe you were one of the 322 people who lifted their hand and said, I'm giving my life to Jesus. In that moment, when you lifted your hand and you said yes and you said that prayer, the Holy Spirit came into your heart and he took up residence on the inside of you. You now have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you and he is like a guide, like a shepherd, like a staff that tells you where to go and what to do and, and what decision to make and whether or not that's the right move for you. He's a faithful shepherd. And the Bible says there's two reasons that the, that, the, that the Holy Spirit indwells us. Number one, it's so that we would know that we are a part of the family of God. Romans chapter eight says that when you said yes to Jesus and the Spirit came up on the inside of you, that now it calls out to the Father, Abba. It, it's like you understand I'm a child of God. The same way my blood and my DNA runs through the veins of my children, the Holy Spirit is like the DNA of God on the inside of you, affirming you belong to the family, you are a part of this community. But the second reason is for the staff, it's for direction. Jesus said in, in John chapter 14, um, when he was telling his disciples that he was about to be crucified and after he resurrected from the dead, he would ascend to heaven. Um, he told his disciples, uh, hey, even though I'm going, don't worry. I know that you're freaking out about it. And you're like, what are we gonna do? He said, don't worry, I'm gonna send someone. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit and it's better for you that I go because the Holy Spirit will be in you and then he will walk with you. He will guide you in all truth. He'll be in your hearts and he will guide you. He will direct you. He'll be like the staff that tells you where to go. And the word that Jesus used in the Greek when he said that the Holy Spirit would be with us was the word parakletos. And parakletos is when, uh, in the Greek, it means the one who walks alongside of you. Someone who actually goes through every season of life. The one that, it's like, like linking arms up with somebody and saying, oh, I know that you're trying to go this way, but I'm going to keep you going this way. That's the, the job description of the Holy Spirit. He, he keeps you close. He keeps you from traveling too far down the wrong path. Isaiah said that there would be like a voice, someone behind you saying, this is the way you should walk in it. Hey God, what do I do about that job? Hey, what do I do about this, this situation I'm facing? What do I do about this relationship? There's a voice calling out to you, this is the way you should walk in it. I know that we have a lot of new believers here. And so I don't wanna presume that everybody in the room is like, 
Yes, I hear the Holy Spirit. Like, I get it. He talks to me. I know that one of the biggest questions Christians always have is like, how do I know if I'm hearing God? <laughs> like, what does his voice sound like? I don't understand it. So let me give you just a very brief piece of advice. If you would say, okay, I don't feel like I'm, I'm hearing the Holy Spirit. First, you need to know that that is a promise from Jesus that you will. Jesus said, my sheep in John chapter 10 will know my voice. It is a promise that you will hear his voice. But secondly, you need to understand that the Holy Spirit does not scream and yell. He whispers to your heart. He leads with impressions. He leads with a whisper to your heart. And you're like, well, why can't he just yell? Well, whispering requires proximity. It requires that you're close. You, you, you can't hear a whisper from a distance. So if you live at a distance from his house, a distance from his word, a distance from his people, please don't be surprised if you're having a hard time hearing the voice of Jesus. The distance is what's keeping you from hearing him clearly. Also, a whisper requires your undivided attention. You can't have a whole lot of other distraction going on and hear a whisper at the same time. Pretend for a moment you made your way over to the new Chase Arena and uh, you were sitting right there in lower level and it's like end of the game, the clock is ticking, they've turned it off, there's like a, a two-point differential and the Warriors are down. This would never happen, but let's just say it does. <laughs> All of a sudden, Curry comes up and he's half court and he looks at the clock and he knows he's not gonna make it to the basket and so he does what he does so well. He, he lifts up and throws up a three-pointer from half court and he drains it as the buzzer goes off. All of the thousands of people inside that arena, they are gonna be on their feet, throwing their popcorn, screaming, high-fiving, come on, warriors, warriors. Like, it's gonna be amazing. Now imagine somebody was sitting next to you at that moment, and they were trying to whisper a secret to you. It would be impossible to hear them. Why? Because there's a whole lot of other noise happening around you. If you want to hear what they have to say, you need to find yourself a little quiet corner without distractions so that you can hear clearly what they want to whisper to you. I wonder how many of us are having a hard time hearing the Holy Spirit because we are surrounded by distractions. Let me tell you what I do when I feel like I cannot hear the voice of God very clearly or when I feel like I need direction or clarity about something. I get away from all distractions. I turn off the TV, I turn off the social media, I turn off the alerts, I do whatever I gotta do to get alone with Jesus because I understand those distractions may be the very thing that's keeping me from hearing him clearly. If necessary, I do this once a week, I push back the plate, I fast, and like God, I don't even want food to be a distraction, I just need to hear you right now. If you're having a hard time hearing Jesus, it might just be that you need to eliminate some distractions, get alone with God, get close to Jesus because the promise of his word is if you draw near to him, he will in fact draw near to you. He will whisper to your heart and he will be faithful to give you direction. This is how God leads us. These are the staffs that he puts in our life. His people, his word and his spirit they keep us from wandering. But, but let me land today with a question. What happens when 
We don't listen to those leadings. When the Holy Spirit tells us what to do and we don't do it, or we stay away from the word, or we excuse ourselves from people and we find ourselves still choosing to wander off because, hey, it's part of our nature. I love what this author, uh, Lon Solomon says, the 23rd Psalm for the 21st century. His quote is, uh, sheep are essentially helpless and stupid animals. <laughs> and to make matters worse, sheep are notoriously stubborn and ornery so that even when someone tries to help them, they often refuse, they resist, and they rebel. Oh, what a beautiful picture of humanity. So what happens when we resist, we rebel, and even though God has been faithful to include some staffs to keep us from wandering, what does the good shepherd do? Well, the good shepherd takes his staff and he flips the staff. Now, you're laughing because you're thinking the same thing that I've thought for the last 15 years of my life. In fact, something that I was taught, bad teaching. Because I was taught that when a shepherd flipped his staff, it was because he was ready to discipline and punish his sheep. I heard a, a sermon one time where somebody said that the shepherd would take a staff, if a lamb would refuse to do what he told it to do, he would break the little lamb's leg, and he would throw the lamb over his shoulders, and he would carry that lamb until that lamb learned how to obey. That punishment was how the shepherd ensured that the sheep would obey. Anyone else ever hear that before? Yeah, a few of us who grew up in the same church. <laughs> Turns out, in my research, a shepherd would never beat his sheep with his staff. Why? Because if you beat the sheep with the same instrument you're trying to rescue the sheep with, to comfort the sheep with, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, then the sheep would wince and resist anytime you tried to help it. Dead religion teaches that God is in heaven and he's got a cane in hand and the second you go out of line, the second you try to wander, he is ready to, to beat you into obedience, to punish you and say, how dare you? How, you said you would never do that again. You said you would love me and you're gonna wander off. Well, you just sit still and you take this like a man. That's what dead religion teaches. But that is not the gospel, is it, friend? Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. One of my favorite verses of scripture, Romans chapter two, verse four. Can't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Can't you see his love is what leads you to a place of repentance? Not his beating, not his punishment. No, his love is what brings us to a place of repentance. So, so, so. If the shepherd flips the staff not to beat the sheep, why does the shepherd flip the staff? Well, let me tell you, I'm glad you asked. It was a process known as rotting. And at the end of the day, when the shepherd was corralling all of his sheep and he was ready to put them in their, their pasture, he would find a narrow opening and the sheep would enter by him one by one. And as the sheep would enter, you can see this in Leviticus, the shepherd would take the pointy end of his staff and he would tap the sheep on the back as he counted each and every one of them, ensuring that they made their way home. It's like an instrument to count the sheep. And as he counted his last sheep coming into the pen, what do you suppose the shepherd would do 
if he discovered that one of his sheep was missing? Let me tell you what he wouldn't do. He wouldn't say, you know what? I got enough sheep here. This is plenty of sheep. I mean, look around. We got so many sheep here at the Father's house. Like, I understand there's 860,000 people on their way to an eternity without Christ, but man, we've got enough sheep in our pasture. It doesn't matter that we lost a few along the way and that there's others out that haven't made it yet. No, we're good. That's not what the shepherd would say. In fact, we don't even have to guess what the shepherd would say because scripture already tells us what a shepherd would say if he found out that in fact his sheep were missing. Luke chapter 15. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders, not because he broke its leg, but because he found it. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors and everybody else in the church saying, we got a party, we have to rejoice because I have found my lost sheep. And then just to make sure you don't think he's talking about sheep and shepherds, but you understand he's talking about you and me and everybody else in this city. He says, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost person who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and they have not strayed away. We don't serve a God that is settled with a church regardless of how large it is. We don't serve a God that says, you know what? This is enough Christians in San Francisco. It's my nice little manageable herd. I'm gonna be okay with it. We serve a God that says, hey, there are some empty seats. There are some people missing in my pasture and we need to do whatever it takes to go out and find those that are lost and bring them back into the pasture again. That's the heart of the father, to leave even the sheep he's got to just chase down the one that needs to be a part of community again. And you know what that tells me? That tells me that if you are here today and you are the one who has been prone to wander, if you found yourself at a distance from God and you've ignored his word and you've ignored his people and you've ignored his spirit and you've said, you know what, I'm gonna go my own way for a season. He's not done with you yet. He isn't satisfied leaving you out in the wilderness to suffer for another season. No, in fact, today he's chasing you down. As the song suggested earlier, there's no mountain he won't climb up. There's no shadow he will not light up coming after you. He's a good shepherd. And until you're home, he's not going to stop pursuing you. If you're wandering today, come on home, please. Come back to the shepherd today. He's not waiting with a cane in hand to beat you. He wants to love you today. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.